Welcome to Ladywood, where two huge fans of the show and one newbie discuss the show through a feminist lens. My name is Sita Sean. I am a comedian and comedy writer. What are you? Are you sure? <laughs> oh, had a long day yesterday. You don't know this. It's also, it was just daylight savings. Forgive us yeah. for <laughs> this particular recording. I am Brandy Sperry, also a writer here in LA and co-host of the Down Gabby podcast. And I'm Lynn Sternberger, a television writer... I'm not going to say out here in L.A., but by nature of not saying it, I'm saying it. Yeah. We're repping L.A. This, we're doing so time. good today, guys. Let's go. Let's Super go. Good. We got the coffee. We're going. <laughs> we're going. So today we're going to be discussing the ninth episode of the second season, Amalgamation and Capital, written by Elizabeth Sarna, whoo, and directed by Edward's go- <laughs> Edward. Dead <laughs> Edward. That would be something. <laughs> Edward Deadwood matchup. All right. Let me start again. And directed by... Dead would go to Ed Bianchi. So it first aired on May 1st of 2005. Here's what happened in the episode. Merrick goes overboard printing rumors in the Deadwood Pioneer, earning rebuke from Surinjan. Tolliver aims to fleece Moe's manual of his bloodstained profits, utters enraged when Wolcott interrupts his and Bullock's interrogation of Moe's and decides to leave town. Almost note causes Surinjan to amend his deal with Miss Isringhausen. Jane and Joni continue their alliance, and an escaped horse violently knocks William Bullock down in the thoroughfare. The horse. I kind of had remembered the horse happening before on the episode with the bike race. I, and so I was like confused on that one. I had completely like, trampled. So, in my. This is weird and my, my problem, but like in my head, I had conflated events, and for some reason. And I hope I'm not spoiling something that does happen later. I thought that the guy that jacks off on the horse got his head kicked in by the horse. I mean, he was he there. Was he, like, hurt himself. But that's certainly he didn't get his head kicked in. So, like, my brain had malfunctioned and short-circuited. <laughs> and I had forgotten that we had to get rid of William. <laughs> I had to get rid of William. So, the episode opens... We should have known it was a bad portent with yeah. Seth trying to be nice and funny to William, <laughs> trying to be a father to him, talking about duck calling. They're so awkward. It's extremely stilted, and you're just like, what is the importance of this? Seems like the only importance is that Martha overhears it and sort of softens her stance towards Seth, which for some reason means she's softening her stance towards Alma as well later in the episode, and... It basically inspires her to try to be above everyone else, it seems like. And that scene where um, uh, William plants the seeds for Seth later, that was supposed to be, I think, a really a heart-rending scene because he's not going to be around. And then oh, God. The, the sunflowers gonna... come up later. That's like a classic if you ever read teen cancer novels, which <laughs> I used to love. Oh, my God. This is like a classic plot in a teen <laughs> cancer novel. Is like your boyfriend dies, but he's planted many tulips with your name on it. <laughs> And in the spring, after he passes, the tulips come up, and you're like, oh, my God. You think the Deadwood writer's room was inspired by teen cancer novels? Because I hope that that's the origin of this sunflower planting. I really hope. We can can shit on how it happens all at once. I mean, we'll talk more about it, because it's kind of like a multi-episode thing that this, this horse situation plays out over. But, yeah, I mean, the fact that we were spending so much time with this kid, it was like... Shit's gonna go down. The same way on Drag Race, 
right before the drag queen gets booted to the curb, we get their meaningful, beautiful mm-hmm. story about, you know, why they're doing what Once in a while, it's so a fake special. out. I feel like on the last episode, they were talking about the stroke. It was a fake out, yes, right? Yes, that was. And I felt misled. <laughs> this is not a drag race podcast, but every podcast should be a drag race podcast. <laughs> I love these comparisons we're making. How is Deadwood like drag race and teen cancer novels? The, the other thing that tipped me off was not only Seth being really nice to the kid, but Tom Nuttall weirdly having a scene by himself you know tom yes. all being like really kind of charismatic with william was and, he uh, in his own weird tom yeah. not all way like he wanted him to test the handlebars full and then they there was that cute conversation about how you could attach a bicycle to a cloud and then you could drag clouds yeah that was everywhere. cute that, that was, was cute i was wondering the whole time martha's had such a vice grip on her son since they arrived in town as you would in, mm-hmm. in a new place with like nobody that you know who decided that it was like totally chill for like these two well for tom nuttall prim- primarily but then for what's his face uh steve steve to be babysitters while they were all the rest of them were all at dinner. Steve or like, weirdly just like yeah he like moses in on. and is like this is cute let me in on this which was weird but the problem I had wasn't that it was Tom who seems like an overall good guy and I could see her being like all right mm-hmm. but the fact that he was also like taking William back to the saloon like it would have been one thing if he had brought the bike over to the hardware right. store. But I'm like, yes, my 10-year-old son, go hang out where Wild Bill Hickok was shot for the afternoon. Like, people are constantly being shot. Someone was just shot. Yeah. It, like, Moe's mm-hmm. just shot his brother in there literally the day before. And you're going to let your kid go hang out there? Like, maybe Martha doesn't know about that. But Seth probably should have been like, uh, stay where we can see you. <laughs> you know? I thought it was strange that they were just, like, on a little adventure through the thoroughfare of Deadwood. Because she has been kind of controlling She's, again, she's trying to loosen up, and then it totally backfires. Poor Martha. She really goes through it. Yeah. So the other thing that she does is she insists that they should have Alma there for the opening of the safe. I guess they're just making the hardware store into the bank now. Great. Saves on having to construct a new set. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Very smart. Gets right. to, get You get to have your... your Trixie the whore and your cast of characters all in the same location. Right. Earlier we see Alma doing paperwork and she is such a dunce about this stuff. She doesn't even know that AG is her initials and that's why she's signing things. But Elsewhere probably should have explained things to her a little bit more. Why are you initialing things if you don't even know what they are? (laughs) Alma. She fully trusts the man. There's that. But she feels like, oh, I'm such an idiot for not knowing this stuff. And yeah, maybe a little, but no one is teaching her things. Like, they're over there teaching Trixie the business from the bottom up. And I'm like, does nobody feel like they have the authority or the stance to explain things to Alma? Maybe. I'm confused about... It's one of those things where, like, we know everything about Seth's backstory. Like, where he was born, when he left, what he's been doing, where he's been, Mm -hmm. his time as a sheriff, his moral compass. Do we know anything about Alma pre-marriage? It's like, is the idea that she was just, like, some sort of lame blank slate and then she got into this misguided marriage? I mean, we've seen her father, but it's like, that doesn't tell us really about... Her, right? Like, they're letting Oh, yeah, we know that she was, like, incesty abused. Mm-hmm. That was that was useful information for us to understand Alma. But, like, she was 
kind of wealthy or at least was in the amongst the wealthy class right like her dad was a gambler and they'd lost their money but they were pretending like they were part of that class did she go to school like clearly she reads but we don't ever we she was teaching Sophia at one point so like why is she being painted as a dummy exactly I'm not sure yeah I don't think we have any sense of her education at all and we have no sense of who her female relations are at all too and I find that to be kind of not problematic but just uh, probably not true in that era because women are always kept with other women you know like Mm -hmm. she doesn't have any female relations that she can write to we don't ever see that you know I'm sure she has a mom (laughs) but we're like a best girlfriend or a best girlfriend she got married yeah I mean there has to be she had to have like a full life before Mm -hmm. marrying Brom I mean it does feel like nobody had anybody before they ended up in Deadwood um, or, like, they were stripped away immediately mm-hmm. of anything that they had because Deadwood, like, peels back the humanity and mm-hmm. stuff. So I don't feel like she got a much worse treatment than everybody else. It's just, like... No, it's just in these little moments when you're like, oh, I wish I had a little bit more of a context. handle on, like... Yeah. 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 Why did she not get this? Yeah, that was interesting, that whole thing between Martha and Alma and... And the bank opening, and they've so they kind of apologize to each other, which is nice. Yeah, and everyone's watching with such tension, and Trixie's like, "This is about to boil over," and then they're both just like, "Uh, it's fine. I'm sorry that I was kind of a bitch last time." <laughs> it was good, basically. I like Trixie also making her first deposit, which I thought could be the most feminist moment of the De- Deadwood episode. Oh, that's the gold a great combination. Trixie the whore. Trixie the whore. <laughs> and and then, because she was so embarrassed by it, Alma covered for her and said that, could I just sign that deposit slip? And so it was like an affirmation. Like, their relationship like is mm-hmm. kind of unsaid, but yeah, nice it to nice. It was not that long ago that Trixie was, like, cleaning Alma up out of her drugged stupor mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. fighting for her. So it was good to see them have that moment. Mm-hmm. I will say that the, like, anticlimax with Martha and Alma works better for me because it's them like rising above than the anticlimax with Bullock and and Al which just felt like being like ugh we've we've painted ourselves into a corner with this two these two let's have them be friends again I think because I don't really need to watch a cat fight you know completely Al in this episode I didn't he, he seemed so separate from the rest of the action he was on his own little trajectory so he's pissed about what's being printed in the Deadwood Pioneer. He ends up confronting Merrick about it. And I guess our understanding is that it wasn't looking good for the ongoing negotiations, the way that all of these rumors were floating about. We don't well, know exactly what they all were. I think Merrick went too far with what Al had been encouraging him to do, which is to play up the fact that mm. Montana is supposedly also making a play for annexation, which, of course, is completely false. And Merrick, in his way, writes this long thing. He goes off on a tangent about Washington, D.C., which I don't totally understand, but is (laughs) apparently very bad because it's just like it's tipping their hand too much. It sounds... It's going to start sounding fake because it is fake. Yeah. Right? Yeah. (laughs) Their editor needs an editor, basically. Like, Al is like, I need to be in the room when you are composing your bullshit. 
so that I can tell you when to pull back on your yeah, bullshit. Like, did you have fun last night? <laughs> your ink and your everything else. Like, have a shot and let's talk about how we're gonna move forward with this because you're you're casting too many shadows on my plan here. Um, so there's that. He kind of puts Merrick in his place. And then he ends up renegotiating with Miss Isringhausen, whom he was trying to double-cross her previously. Mm-hmm. Is this everybody else's understanding? It's a little confusing. It's a little, it's a little confusing. Right, like he was going to have Isringhausen sign something that would be evidence for Alma, and then that uh, he was going to collect... That would Isring- condemn Alma. He was going to sign something, give it to Isringhausen, uh-huh. For the Pinkertons. Mm-hmm. But then he told Alma, we're going to have one over on them because I hate the Pinkertons. So I'm going to get whatever I've signed that's going to be destroyed. So Right. And then in the last episode, Isringhausen basically effectively put a kilbosh to that plan because she wanted the signed document with her or something. Yes, yeah, so but yeah. we didn't know how it was going to play out. We just right. figured he'd have a solution for that. However, it changes because Alma and Isringhausen came not to blows, but to verbal blows. And she kind of let loose that she knew that she was a Pinkerton, Mm -hmm. which I guess, if you're extrapolating, means that Alma and Al are in on things together because she has that information. So if you're smart Mrs. Isringhausen, which we're told to believe she is, you know now you're being double-crossed. Right. So fucks Al. So even though they have this long, complicated conversation about it, what it boils down to is basically, look, this plan is fucked on both sides. Let me just pay you off and get out of here. That was my impression. Mm -hmm. Because she's essentially failed in her mission, is probably worried for her own safety from both sides at this point. Yeah, it seems like Al is just saying, like, I'm not sure exactly what he wants her to sign at that moment, though. I don't know. That's a question I could answer. Two pages long of something. They lay it out there. We have no fucking clue. So, yeah, we don't know what she's going to sign. And then, of course, Bullock is going to be present to witness it. But then the whole thing happens with the horse. And we have to hold on and see what's going to happen with that in the next episode. If she'll sign it without his witness or if Al is going to get fed up sitting there across the desk from her having a staring contest or what. Not that it's not fun to watch Ian McShane and Sarah Paulson have a staring contest. But where is this going? I would much rather watch that now. Mm-hmm in, like, the movie than, than, like, I I didn't feel like that was the situation in which they were both at their best. They're really incredible actors, but we didn't get to, like, see it. Well, it's more fun when we can really follow the plot of who's trying to get one over on who, and I think it's really, it's come down to not being that exciting now because we're not clear on how all of the, like, mental machinations led to this point. Yes. We're confused, and confusion never makes it. And I watched it a bunch of times, <laughs> but I'm still confused. So, a couple of things we didn't talk about. The horse, Hofstetler and the Felix. general yeah. are uh, talking about, I forget what it's called when you basically, like, emasculate a horse. It's not called just, like, neutering a horse. They have a special like, term for it. I think it's called gelding a horse, mm-hmm. actually. Mm-hmm. Gelding? Oh, great. Okay, so they're gelding a horse, uh, which I guess is a, an American Indian's horse that they've, like, found or yeah. taken in or Escaped something. Escaped from the Sioux, they said. Yeah. Okay. So it's a Sioux horse, and so I guess we're meant to believe that's a little wild and uncontrollable and not used to, like, you know, their ways of... Um, not used to getting its balls cut off. <laughs> definitely not used to that. It only happens once in a horse's <laughs> life, Max. So they're trying to hold it down to geld it. 
and it breaks free and it was sort of like the loaded gun at the beginning mm-hmm. of the pilot yeah. and it's just like why are we spending so much fucking time with them and this horse and then obviously the answer is oh the horse breaks loose and then causes this tragedy so the whole episode it turns out is just structured around getting everybody where they need to be mm-hmm. in the thoroughfare in the thoroughfare or in the hardware store so that this thing can unfold do Hofstetler and the general have much to do besides this? No. Like, do we know? Are they? It, it's a frustrating episode for me, again, with these characters, in part because they're kind of in the ghetto of the barn, right? Like, it's these two characters of color. They only really get to communicate with each other. Mm-hmm. Their storylines are unrelated to the rest of the town. They're not talking about the annexation. They're not talking about the bank. They're not even talking about the bicycle. They're talking specifically mm-hmm. about this like side deal with the horse yeah because they're hoping to make a little bit of money from it the, the, like a gelded horse even a sioux horse and they basically found a free horse yeah. and then a free horse is worth a lot of money yeah i don't i don't mind that so much i think just because it's it's not unheard of to see these little side stories but i do hope that it continues forward and that they get to interact with other characters a little bit more um, and not by being punished for what happened with the horse, which was clearly an accident, although they were being fairly reckless. I mean, I think it was just a, a writer's <clears throat> metaphor for the taming of Deadwood. <laughs> yeah. Definitely a writer's horse running rampage through the town as it's supposed to be tamed by civilization, and then it uh, kills an innocent victim. I think it is meant to be a metaphor. It's just like, <sighs> give these men something more to do, please. Yeah. Elsewhere, should we talk about Jane and Joni? Of course. I love talking about Jane and Joni. Palate cleanser. Who wouldn't want to find Jane passed out on their porch in the morning? <laughs> Quite a vision. Has her face, like, jammed up against... I don't know if it was glass or just, like, a grate. <laughs> yeah. It's the glass doors. Uh, she realizes she was keeping watch after the fact. I love her, like, long explanation as Joni's just standing there. She's like... Well, I figured if you were dead, I didn't want to see that. And if you're alive, I didn't want to wake you up. Like, what, what if she was, like, injured and dying? Like, what, if, what if you could have saved her? It's very good drunk logic, though. Yes. It's a great reminder that Jane is a coward. We haven't seen that play out. Mm-hmm. Because mostly she's played for the drunk note. But, in fact, she is very fearful of, of finding things that are scary to her. Right, and she says that. I've been that way since I was a child, and it's another one of these things where they hint at childhood trauma against little girls that lasts well into womanhood. Mm -hmm. Um, But in any case, she ends up coming inside because Joni's twat is cold. Uh, (laughs) Snippy on my twat. (laughs) Snippy on her twat. So she convinces Jane to come back inside where she had been, where, (laughs) need I remind you that you have already been inside? (laughs) It's funny. I'm not sure I would call it an alliance like the plot summary Mm -hmm. is. They're not really plotting anything. Yeah, they don't even seem to come to an agreement about what Jane's actually doing at the the whorehouse. And it kind of seems like Joni's just been... Shut in. The, Just the, hanging out. In the it murder was very palace. like, crash on my couch for a little while. <laughs> on my velvet settee. <laughs> we learned that the brothel used to be a cooperage, which I think we knew, but I, I just totally forgot that it used a to hoop, be. A what a one? A cooperage is where mm. you make barrels. Make barrels. Yeah. I didn't know that. I missed there. that somehow. <laughs> Fascinating. <laughs> it was for barrel making. 
If this, Not for lovemaking. <laughs> if this were like a contemporary thing, we we could um, brand like our own whiskey. It could be like whorehouse whiskey. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Made in the whorehouse, uh, in the barrels that used to, from the cooperage. <laughs> we don't use that word all the time now. Uh, so when Jane goes back to get her stuff so that she can move into the whorehouse, um, she finds Charlie getting ready to leave. And the reason is that earlier... Seth and Charlie went to confront Moe's Manual about the shooting of his brother, which is a lot fucking more than they've done to investigate the prostitutes that were mm-hmm. slashed by mm-hmm. Wolcott, mm-hmm. by the way. Those bodies disappeared, though, right? And no, there were no So did the brother. That's true. Yeah. I mean, everyone's been eaten by the pigs at this point. I mean... Those pigs are probably really delicious right now. <laughs> They're really fat. <laughs> CSI Deadwood is only for selective people. <laughs> It's very unpleasant to watch Moe's manual and his, you know, camping out at the Bella Union and the way that he's treating whatever that main... What is her name? Do we know her name? Her name is Tess. Yeah, okay. I'm glad we know her name. Uh, That's about all we know. So, (laughs) this definitely gets my nomination for least feminist moment in the whole episode, which is that they are... He he doesn't want to leave the whore's room. He's, I think, afraid of getting called into account for shooting his brother, which he did. Mm -hmm. Um, Eventually, he gets lured downstairs to the gambling table where he's getting a Mm -hmm. blowjob while he's being... While he's losing. (laughs) So, yeah, it's extremely unpleasant to see the way that he bosses this woman around, forces her head under the table, the way that she gets talked to in this scene. And it's... A, it's a sex position sequence where mm-hmm. the woman is really just used. It was, yeah, she's it was gross. It was gross to me. He is not winning best male feminist in the town of Deadwood. <laughs> and Wolcott's kind of, uh, so Moses kind of worked himself up into a fit. He wants his money back. And Tolliver tells him that he can't have the money back that he's lost over the last couple of days. And then Wolcott joins in, essentially, and taunts him. And I was really like surprised by that sequence it was like well doesn't didn't they already sell the claim to Hearst's company why is Wolcott yes. I guess him? he doesn't want him to tell the truth about what happened yes mm-hmm. but Wolcott's also keeps asking to talk to Seth in this episode which I'm not sure why yeah and I, I do like that moment and it's a great moment for Garrett Dillahunt when he goads Moe's into mm-hmm. pulling his gun so that the, they can shoot him yeah. um, and try to get rid of him in a, quote, justified way. But I'm, I'm not sure. He seems to be just, like, pacing around the Bella Union for no reason in this mm-hmm. episode, and I'm I'm not even sure why he's there to engage in that moment. Maybe there would have been a way to better connect uh, what he's doing to the overall plot about annexation. Because we keep hearing that Hearst is connected to, is it, Mon- is it having Mon- No, the Dakota claim, like the mm-hmm. Dakota bid, right? So if we could just put two and two together and make four, that would be nice. But it's not, it's not actually done. I imagine he wants to talk to Seth because he wants to talk about the annexation. But yeah, they don't he- actually say that. I was also surprised uh, to hear Wolcott mention Lee as, like, the muscle guy, which I kind of knew that he was muscle, but he said uh, something to the effect of Lee can burn everything down if uh, if Hearst tells him to. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, and size being very, like, casual about that, like, oh, let me just be shaking in my boots or whatever his yeah. line is. And I'm like, you are going to get murdered by the end of this if you're not <laughs> careful. I mean, I think we... 
this is the part of the season where it starts to feel like a little bit of treading water because they're not going to bring Hearst in until season three. No, until season three? There's only two episodes left, Sita. <laughs> I wanted, like, I don't know. Three I wanted Hearst to come in as a season finale kind of big bad, maybe. Just a couple other th- threads that happen in this episode before um, that ending scene where, of course, you know that the next episode is going to be all about whether William lives or dies. Um, we see Dan pressuring Blazanov over the messages and being able to read them. And Blazanov gives us such a sad, soft story about Oof. how his parents are dead. He doesn't have anyone. And the like sanctity of the messages is all he has to believe in. He's very Russian. <laughs> very Russian. <laughs> Tragic backstories. Um, we have that. And then we have EB still hanging around with his toothache and being like one step behind on everything that's going on because of that. And that's pretty much it for this one. Then we end. Oh, I had a few remarkable. I noticed a couple of things. Okay. Not crucial to the plot <laughs> that okay. I wanted to mention. Lines, moments. What yes. Got? Um, oh, first and foremost, there's this whole, that whole opening sequence where uh, Bullock and William are having breakfast together and William's getting his coffee prepared. We take our coffee the same way. <laughs> uh, two quarts milk and yes. three scoops of sugar yes basically i am william i <laughs> i can barely drink coffee um and then i i thought it was really amazing how alma and ellsworth she has not given him an answer yet to his proposal mm-hmm. and is avoiding him the whole time and she manages i thought it was a great choice on uh molly parker's, parker's behalf that she manages to not look at him once during their entire prolonged business conversation like she is pointedly not looking at Ellsworth and Ellsworth is definitely looking at her and like mm-hmm. trying to read her body language and re- read her features mm-hmm. yeah. but I was like ooh she's good at this she's good at this like avoidance stuff and then Brandy I thought you would make note of this that Dan is still complaining about the ball score oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> ball score is a little more fucking prompt like, yeah exactly this is the only joy in life only you just let him know what teams won <laughs> and then uh the very last thing this is one of those things where i was thinking about it, is it from the television writers point of view and like the tv produ- producers they have alma knitting in this which i guess is something that women of her station mm-hmm. would have done but it is very clear that she is not a good knitter <laughs> and it is also this atrocious orange thing that's like shapeless and bright orange, like like cone orange. And I was like, what is this? What is she knitting? What does she think it's going to be used for? And also, somebody should have just just bring in somebody who can knit knit it and then stick the needles in her hand. Yeah, like, oh. I like that she's bad at it. <laughs> I want to know also about Alma. And at the end of that first scene with Ellsworth, it ends with her once again getting ill. Because that's the only thing that pregnant ladies do on TV. And Sophia just, like, looks at her and then looks back to her, like, coloring book or whatever (laughs) she's doing. Her, like, non-reaction is so funny to me. Like, this girl, they have done, they haven't even done the modicum of effort they've done with William to give her any type of personality. All she ever does is ask for candy. (laughs) At least we know she probably won't die because she's not getting the (laughs) send-off. If she starts taking if only interest, she had also gone to play with the bicycle. <laughs> Two birds with one stone. <laughs> that is Two. so dark. <laughs> Two inner like kids. <laughs> I'm sorry. Both of the children dead at play. <laughs> and he's like, if there could have been more child murder. 
<laughs> only fictional children do I think this about. Don't worry, don't worry. I mean, like Williams is uh, he's fine as a as a child, but he does have a tendency to be very whiny. <laughs> He does! Williams <laughs> like Wonder Bread. Yeah, he's just, uh, he doesn't do much for me as a child. I mean, the I think Sophia does more for me because she like had a, like a pretty intriguing story of how she came into Deadwood. That's Her fair. entire family murdered and she yes. was mute and she was like a, a point of contention she for She doesn't Al. seem like that traumatized by the fact that her entire <laughs> family was murdered. I want to read a book from older Sophia's perspective <laughs> about her... I want to read. I'm memoir. pretty sure older Sophia is a character in the movie. So. Really? Oh, really? Yeah. Okay, that'll be that's, cool. Yeah. Oh, that's nice. So maybe I'm glad she didn't get trampled. So. <laughs> um, and then I had an, a nomination for most feminist mm-hmm. moment, which is that Johnny is teaching a prostitute to read. Yeah, I'm trying. I'm trying. I mean, I mean, they're not getting very far. It seems like maybe he knows the letters. I don't know if he really <laughs> can read that well himself. But. He's sharing his knowledge, what knowledge he does have. You're right. You're right. Um, it was very, it was like a League of Their Own moment for yeah. me. I don't remember which came first. I think a League of Their Own came out before this <laughs> yeah, episode sure, of Deadwood. Yeah. Um, so maybe they were like, you know, ripping it <laughs> out of a League of Their Own. Okay, we'll sweet. add that to the list of unlikely comparisons we're making. Yeah, <laughs> add it to the list. Well, next week we will see the answer to the question of uh, William whether William lives or dies, I assume. Until then, you can find us on Twitter at LadyWoodCast. You can find me at WeeBrandy, O-U-I-B-R-A-N-D-I. You can find me at SlowBear, S-L-O-B-E-A-R. And I'm at Lynn Sternberger. Thank you for listening. you